You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God. You may be seated. Open your Bible at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been talking about fellowship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Once again, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Everybody say communion. Other translations say fellowship. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia means that intimate fellowship, intimate relationship. Everybody say intimacy. And so we've had a look at a lot of different scriptures, we discovered that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is much God as what Father is God, as Jesus is God, so is the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons revealed in the baptism of Jesus, at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus as a person goes in the water, comes out, windows of heaven open, and a voice comes out of heaven, this is my beloved Son, revealing Him as the Father. And, of course, we see the Holy Spirit descending and empowering Jesus with great anointing. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, our God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were sick and depressed of the devil. For God was with him, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. And very often we know we're happy with the Father being God. We know Jesus is And, of course, we now know the Holy Spirit is as well. We want to give Him the same attention that we would any of the others. And we know that God is one. When we say God is one, we talk about one as in unity. The Bible does speak of God being one. You do know the Bible also speaks about my wife and I being one flesh. And I'm saying this for the sake of those that may have missed it. This is part six already. So if you've missed any of the other parts... Please get it, because we went into this in great detail. So my wife and I are one, yet we're two different people, individuals. So God is one, and yet He's manifested as three persons. So that shouldn't confuse us unless we want it to. Some people have to work really hard. They go to great many years of, of, of seminary, To learn how to misunderstand the Bible. I just read it for what it says. Amen. When someone says, is God one? Yes. But he's three people? Yes. Is it three individuals? Yes. But you said he's one? Yes. What don't you understand? <laughs> See, if we try and overcomplicate things, you don't have to put God in a box. Never will you get him in a box. He's eternal. Is beyond anything our imagination could ever use. How do you possibly describe an eternal God using three-dimensional language? And so I refuse to allow the limitations of my English to limit who God is. Amen. So the key here, what we bring across here, is that once you recognize the Holy Spirit as an intimate person that wants to walk with you closely every day, not just be some kind of force or power available when you need it. No, it's Him. And Jesus spoke about Him. When He comes, He will help you. And so we've learned through all of this that He is the one that's inspired the Word of God. 2, Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by 
inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Holy Spirit is revealing through His Word the mind of the Father. And Jesus is the Word that brought that Word. But then He said in John chapter 14, verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom, you see it's a person, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus is the expression of the Father in the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So the Father has intention and He declares that Word. It's revealed through Jesus as the Word. And then Jesus, revealing the Word to us, has now placed that responsibility in the Holy Spirit to remind us of that Word and to teach us everything we need to know in order to live successfully. So using that knowledge, we went and we said, okay, that is the case. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned a number of prayers. And so sometimes even the disciples, when they went to Jesus, said, teach us how to pray. Because that's our desire. If we're going to pray, we want to pray accurately. Uh, very often what we do and we call prayer is not actually prayer. It's just a bunch of moaning to God. But the Bible says that if we pray according to His will, He hears us. And so if we're wondering why God's not answering a prayer, is it prayed according to His will? Because if He hears us according to His will then if you look at that scripture in its true text of what it's saying, if we pray according to His will, He hears us. Then if we're not according to His will, He does not hear us. Would that make sense? Now, I'm sure He can hear the sound, but He's not going to accept anything that's not based in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God and faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God so the only prayer that's going to please God is if it's written in thy will so we don't ever have to pray if it's your will because the moment we pray if it's your will there's an element of doubt maybe you will do this this time so now I'm up to whether it's your will or not how do you feel today no I find out what is God's will once you know what is God's will, you can confidently pray it. And by confidently praying it according to His will, you know He hears you. And because He hears you, you know you have the answer. And so when it looks like nothing's happening, you can still keep rejoicing and keep thanking God because you know, I don't care what my circumstances say, I know what you said. And so we can take those prayers that he's written because they're written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And instead of trying to make up my own prayers, I can say, hang on, let me pray the word. And Paul already written some prayers and we've been using those prayers and we had a look at a number of them. And as I say, I pray these prayers. These are prayers that I pray over you every day. And so I've taken them and put them into you, into them. I also take them, I put myself in the first person and I say this is going to be so for my life and we had a look already at Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 to 12 where we are filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding is there a reason the top screen's not working so we pray that 
We are filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, we notice in verse 12, it says that He has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Say this, I have already been qualified to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So you are already qualified. In other words, whatever God offers in His Word, you are qualified to partake of that. Amen. Say, I am qualified. Then we had a look last week at the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. And we saw that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Verse 16. To be strengthened with might through His Spirit in your inner man. So now we see the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life strengthening you. Say that the Holy Spirit in my life strengthens me in the inner man. Now I want to pick up on two things here. Number one, as you look at, when we looked at Colossians 1 verse 12, He has qualified you to be a partaker. We see here in verse 16, He's granted you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened. The riches of His glory. In other words, family God, whatever you need in life is not limited to what you have available at that moment physically in your life. Whatever you need in life, it's not limited to your physical body, your ability, your mind, your intelligence, what you've learned. It's not limited to your bank account, your provision, just the team you have around me, if God's asked you to do something, then you have the full capacity to do it and you have the full provision to do it. You, I want us to renew our minds to that. I know many of us have already done that, but I'm going to keep on it till we all have it. Because sometimes we, we want something and we see someone else and the only reason we get jealous or envious, which the Bible says we should not be doing, says do not be envious. So I know that I shouldn't be jealous of someone. But then someone says, but how can I help it? They always got. No, the moment I'm jealous of someone, it is an implication that I think I can't have it. So if I, if I see you have it and I say, hang on, I also need one of those. Father, thank you. I believe if they've got it, I can also have it. Now, I'm not jealous of you anymore because we both got it. Yeah, but where's yours? It's on its way. See, I don't have to have it parked in my garage or in my bank account or in my, in my pocket. I just know that if God wants me to have it, and I need that in my life, and He said He'll give me the desires of my heart, and I've asked Him, I believe I have received it. That means every provision you could possibly need, want, or desire, God's already provided for you, and it's already been established. Now, we just have to make the withdrawal. We have to learn how to do that. Amen. And we saw that the way Christ dwells in our hearts, verse 17, is because we're rooted and grounded in love. Everything we do must be love-based. Even faith is fueled by love. Why? Because God is love. So now we understand why Jesus says we must forgive one another. Not just because He likes nice, kind people. No, it, it has spiritual implications. 
If I'm, if I'm not walking in love and I'm not treating you with love, then I'm not rooted in love. Then the word Jesus said, those that have no root in themselves will have the word stolen. So people that say, hallelujah, love God, love the word, love Jesus, praise God. They sow their seed, they tie, they do what they need to do, and they leave God for the blessing. But if they're still ugly with people and snap and argue and complain and moan and fight with people and, and, and just not walking within that atmosphere and attitude of love, then everything they're trying to do in the kingdom of God keeps getting torn out by the enemy. Everything keeps getting removed, and that's where they start feeling like, well, I don't know why I even go to church. I don't get anything there. I, I, I like, I love the Word. I love God. Hallelujah. But I'm not getting anything at church. What's happened? There's no root. The, the love is gone, and then the way the enemy does that is to eliminate us, to try and get us out of the Word, and when we've removed from the Word, then even what God wants to put into our hearts, He's not able to do that. Why do we go to church? Not out of religious obligation. Nowhere does it say go to church, then you go to heaven. You getting this? But I heard someone say this week, which I thought was great. It says, you know, uh, I'm born again, I'm saved, I don't need to go to church to go to heaven. That's true. How many of you are married? You don't need to go home to stay married. But if you don't go home long enough, that marriage will come to an end. I thought that's good. I like that. I'll use that. Amen. So you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Uh-huh. You don't have to go home to stay married. To be married. Let's put it that way. You don't have to go home to be married. But you want to stay married, then you need to be going home. Are you with me? I don't need to go home to be married. I don't have to, but you have to go home to stay married. So the same way, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but to stay one? Mm -hmm. Why? Because in this atmosphere, you're getting fed with faith. You're getting fed with faith. That's why you come. You're hearing the word. So just pump me up. Fill me up again. Amen. So now that's what we're doing. So praise God. We got down to verse 20. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to thee. Power that works in us. What's that? That's all of that put together. Knowing the Holy Spirit, walking intimately with Him, walking in love, believing that God has already provided everything you need. When you understand that and that full glory manifests and you walk at that level, God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you would even ask for. That's when things start happening. You go, what? I didn't even sow seed for that. Uh-huh. You did somewhere along the line. But now you're watching it starting to manifest. Come on. Amen. Have a look at Philippians chapter 1. We're talking about Holy Spirit inspired prayers. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. So yeah, Paul is revealing what he prays for his partners. He says, in every prayer of mine, I make request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Everybody say fellowship. Now the word fellowship, yeah, is talking about partnership. Everybody say partnership. If you look at it in the Amplified Bible, 
It says your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership. Your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership. Now, what are we talking about here? If you come down to chapter 4 and verse 14... says, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once again for my necessities. This church in Philippi was birthed, remember, Paul and Silas were in prison and they were worshiping at midnight and then there was a great earthquake and the prison doors were bust open and then the jailer that was there wanted to commit suicide because he was concerned about what would happen because he let the prisoners go even though it wasn't his fault and Paul stopped him and said hang on we're all still here which alone is a miracle because if he said we're all still here that includes even the prisoners that weren't believers. No one left. Now, come on. If you think about hardened criminals, you crack that door slightly, they're going to take a gap. But he says, no, everyone's still here. And so the jailer was so taken by this, that realizing it's a miracle, said, what do I do? And so that night, Paul leads him to the Lord and then also gets his whole family saved. And a church is planted in uh, Philippi. And Philippi at the time was a very, very poor area, very poor city. It was mainly a military town, didn't have any churches or synagogues there. But Paul, having led this jailer to the Lord and his family, they planted a church there. And this church was so touched by what Paul had done that no matter where he went, they financed him. They would take care of him. Yeah, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent aid for me. In other words, how many you know in your Bible you got 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians? That was because there was a church there. So Paul was preaching at Thessalonica, and evidently they were not looking after him. He went there, even told the church in Corinth. He says, whenever I talk to you about finances, you get upset. But he says, listen, I'm even making tents so that you don't have to pay for me. So he wasn't saying that you should have a tent ministry, <laughs> but he was saying that I'm not here for your money. I want to come to preach the Word of God, and I don't even need you to support me. But he still teaches them that there's benefit in them supporting him. So in other words, I don't do this for the finances. But I want you to know if you get involved financially, there is a key. And so the same thing with this church in Philippi. He was, uh, they were seeing that in Thessalonica, they were not looking after him. So they sent financial support to him. In fact, if you read... Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, from the Passion Translation, he says, My heart overflows with joy when I think of how you showed your love to me by your financial support of my ministry. Even though you have so little, you still continue to help me at every opportunity. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says, out of their poverty, they financed and they looked after Paul. 
And so as a result of that, they had partnered with Paul. And he says, because of this partnership, because of your financial support of this ministry, I'm praying for you. So let's go back to chapter 1, and you will see what we're talking about here. Philippians chapter 1. So he says in verse 5, he's, well, first of all, verse 4, he thanks God upon every remembrance. Always in every prayer of mine, I make requests for you all with joy for your partnership. Everybody say partnership. Now, how many of you partner with this ministry? That means you're financially supporting it. And so you need to understand the same prayer is what I pray over you. If Paul's praying this over his partners, then I'm going to pray this prayer over my partners. It's Holy Spirit inspired. So now you can know as we read this, if I'm financially supporting a ministry, this prayer is prayed into my life. And so you can make this in the first person. And I pray this for you, and I pray it for me too. So let's go ahead and read what he prays. Praise. He says, I am confident, verse 6, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you were completed until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began the good work in you, God will complete it in you. How many, when you look back at your BC life before Christ, you look at that person and think, what was he thinking? See, I talk about him because it's no longer he who lives. <laughs> it's Christ who lives in me. You know, how do you look back and think, who was that idiot? Only a few people. I know when I look back, I think, what were you even thinking? But thank God when I got saved, you, I saw in my life a radical transformation. And you say amen to that. There's no ways I on purpose could have done that change. See, that's part of your testimony. There are people that when we look at their lives, people say, you know, how can you be sure? Isn't religion just like a crutch and it's for people that need help? Uh-uh. When you look at some lives and you see how they change, you know in the natural. No one wakes up one morning and decides to just change that way. That is an evidence of the hand of God that took a lot that was hard and racist and and ugly, and, and vile, and angry, and in an instant, the next day, loving, and compassionate, and, and, and gentle, and full of life, and love. That's testimony of God's kingdom. And so God began a good work in you. And how many of you have ever been frustrated that since you got saved, you start battling, man, I, you know, I'm trying so hard to be a Christian. I, you know, I'm trying to do good. I, I'm trying to... Do, no, stop trying. It's not about the flesh. You can put a muzzle on a dog, but it still wants to bite you. If you get an angry dog and put a muzzle on it, it will still want to bite you. Let the muzzle drop off, it's going to take you out. Now, the only way to change that dog is to change his heart. And thank God, when you were born again, your heart was changed. And so... I don't stop doing things and try and not do things because I'm muzzled. A Christian shouldn't do this, and a Christian may not do that. And I keep reminding them, Christians can't do that. I mustn't do it because Christians can't do that. No, he began the work in me. 
He began the work in me. And Father, the Word says, you give me the desires of my heart. And if there's something that's influencing me, that's keeping me away from walking holy, then I want you to remove that desire from my heart. I thank you. I refuse that. And I allow the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to remove that desire from me. He says, He will complete the work. So now the Holy Spirit is there to remind you. So be aware of His presence. Holy Spirit, I'm giving you full permission. Now, He doesn't need our permission, but I'm opening my heart to it. I'm saying, please help me. If there is an area that I am struggling with, that it's just like temptation is too heavy for me, it's the word, even in Jesus' prayer, says, you will not lead me into temptation. And so I'm asking you, if you won't lead me into temptation, then lead me out of it. And I've had it before that if I'm getting into a situation, the example that I like to use so you understand what I mean, let's say you're about to go through a door and you lift up your hand to open that door and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, don't, don't, don't go in. Then don't even look to see what's behind the door. Why can't I go in? Just trust Him, close that door and walk away. Why? He's completing the work in me. So today, it's not even things that necessarily are sin. If I told you the Holy Spirit stopped me from doing A, then you might think, but that's not a sin. No, it's not. But he knows if I did it, then that would lead me into temptation. But I have found in my life over the years that things that he used to stop me in, he doesn't stop me doing anymore. And now I can do it. Why? Because I've matured in another area of my life that enables me to handle that situation. But back then, I wasn't trained in that area yet. And as a result, I wouldn't be able to handle that situation. And he protected me from it. And because I relied on him and didn't allow myself to override his leading, I chose to follow him. He has completed that work. And he'll continue doing that. He is completing the work he's begun in you. So trust Him. Rely on Him as the Holy Spirit completing the work in you. Just lift your hand right now and say, Holy Spirit, I thank you. Jesus said you would guide me into truth. I'm trusting you to complete the work that Christ began in me. Verse 7. It is right for me to think this of you all. Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. You are partakers with me of grace. Now, in the New King James, they changed the wording slightly. But the way it's written and understood in the original Greek is correct and accurate in the King James Version, the old King James. He says, you are all partakers with me of my grace. You are partakers of my grace. And you will see that's the wording he uses all the way through. He says, my God shall supply your need. Now, isn't it also their God? Yes, but he's getting across this principle of partnership. The fact that you've partnered with me, then whatever's happening in my life is now accessible to you. How many of you understand that your finger is alive? All right. Now, why is it alive? Because it's attached to your body. 
And this finger of mine, no matter where it is, what it's doing, what's happening, it is a partaker of the food that I ate yesterday. It's getting all the nutrition, all the energy it needs, all the supply, the nutrients, whatever's needed, the protein, whatever this finger needs was provided by the entire body. But that only works as long as the finger stays attached to the hand. If the finger goes and decides to be an individual finger, I can live life on my own. I don't need the body. I'm a finger. I can be a finger on my own. Go. Try. I don't think you'll last long. Hello. Even if you cut it off, it may go bup, 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 a little, little bit on its own. But eventually it realizes, oh, I actually do need the body. Every one of us need to be in the body, part of the body. And God gives us a man of God in our lives that when we connect in that part, then now I'm a partner. And as a partner, I get to enjoy the same grace. So the same way the heart pumps blood, that blood gets to the finger because it's attached. So God's grace and anointing, He has chosen to work through the fivefold ministry. God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for what reason? Equipping us for the work. And when I attach with that ministry, then whatever grace, anointing, power, glory flows through that ministry, boom, every time God's heartbeat pumps, it flows through me because I'm partnered in there. So if you see a grace on that ministry, you say, I want that. If you see excellence, you can draw on that excellence. If you see leadership ability, you can draw on that. If you see provision, you can draw on that. In other words, whatever happens in Apostle Allen's life, I can have it too. So God puts that in your life so that you have something to look at. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, if I see it in you, I can draw on it for me. When you see our marriage, you can say, I want that same in my life. You see how children are raised. I want that in my life. Are you getting this? So whatever's accessible, this is what Paul's saying. This grace is available to you. You are partakers with me of my grace. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Now that's confirming what he prayed in Colossians. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Everybody say sincere. Without offense. I pray that over you every day. That you not be offended. Why? Because I don't want you offended with me. No, it's got nothing to do with it. I don't care who likes me and who doesn't. Because it doesn't matter what anyone likes me or doesn't like me. I still get what God wants for me. Your liking me or not doesn't stop it. Come on, you're getting a hold of this? But offense in my life will stop me from getting what God wants for me. So I refuse offense. I refuse offense. People say, don't you ever get offended? I'm tempted. The temptation's still there. 
I can't say I'm not tempted because the devil will try and tempt. And even Jesus was tempted in all things. But I will always resist it. Why? Because I won't go down that road. Because offense will steal the word out of my heart. And you don't want that. Just waiting for all the amens. Unless you want it. I said you don't want it. Amen means let it be so for me. I said you don't want offense. So by refusing to be offended, you ensure the word can be planted in your heart. So I pray that every day that you are without offense. So you can say, praise God. Pastor Alan prayed for me and he says, I'm a partaker of his grace. So therefore I receive the grace not to be offended. It's a decision you make. Amen. Now, let me just help you there. If it's a decision not to be offended, you're going to have to learn to reject the flesh. Because everything in your flesh wants to enjoy the sweet flavor of offense. No, no, no. It is a poison. So I reject it. Amen. That you are without offense till the day of Christ. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Come and have a look at chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit. Yeah, we back. This whole letter is around the fellowship of God in the place of partnership. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Family, whatever we do here, Yes, God heals me. Yes, God provides for me. Yes, I do need and God's going to make sure I get it because I've asked for it. But it's not about me. It's because I want to help someone else. If I want my house paid off in full, it's not so I can walk around saying my house is paid off. It's not so that I have more finances accessible to help other people pay their house, to help others with their rent, to help others out of financial stress and trouble. I want to help others. And you say amen to that. So whatever God does in my life, it's because I want to help other people. Not so that I can have and get, but so that I can help somebody else with it. Have a look at verse 14. Once again. We read it just now. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared. Um, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 14. Philippians 4, verse 14. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. In Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Yeah, we see in verse 17. It's not that I seek the gift. It's not that I seek the gift. You'll find very often that when uh, men or women of God talk about our financial situation, our first response to temptation is, what do they want? 
I know none of you thought that. I'm helping you help someone else who may have spoken to you about it. But what do they want with my money? And Paul has to tell them back, yeah, already. He's saying, I'm writing to you, and I'm writing for a reason. It's not because I'm after your money. I want you to know it's the fruit that abounds to your account. In fact, let's read it from the Passion Translation. Then Philippians 4 verse 14. You've so graciously provided for my essential needs during the season of difficulty. I want you to know that the Philippian church was the only church that supported me in the beginning as I went out to preach the gospel. You were the only church that sowed into me financially. Even in Thessalonica, you supported me for well over a year. Now, I mention this not because I'm requesting a gift, but so that the fruit of your generosity may bring an abundant reward. The fruit of your generosity can bring an abundant reward. And he says, I now have all I need, more than enough. I'm abundantly satisfied. I've received the gift you sent by Epaphroditus and viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is pleasing to God. I'm convinced that my God will fully satisfy every need you have. For I've seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Family, that's the familiar verse we know in verse 19 from the New King James. It says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. By the anointed one and his anointing that's in Jesus. And now is in you. That's the power that's working in you. My God shall supply. How much? How much? That means you have every need fully provided. Why? Because you are partnering with a ministry that believes this word. That believes the glory of God. The glory and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is not just to get you to heaven one day. It's so that the complete work He's begun in you can be completed in your life. And that means in your realm of the Spirit, in the way that you walk in the mind, the way you walk and think and the things that you say, in full wisdom and the knowledge of the Word of God, in full provision physically. That means every need fully provided, fully supplied, nothing missing, nothing broken. And that happens as long as we continue to walk in love and trust the full grace of God. Stay away from offense. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in accuracy with the word. And as you walk in it, then you know today, Pastor Allen prayed over me that I am without offense and that I'm fully provided, fully supplied. My every need is met and I draw on that grace for it to happen and I'm walking in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Did you get something? Family, we've come a long way. And I really want you to encourage you get every one of these sessions, all six parts, and go over them and meditate them again and again and again and again until we are so aware of the Holy Spirit walking in our lives. Because family, here's the thing. God doesn't just want you to get to heaven. 
He wants you to enjoy the fullness of what He paid for on that cross. That's for every area. If He bore the entire curse, then God doesn't want anything that will curse your life to be a part of your life. You're free from it so that the full blessing can manifest in your life. Amen. Give Jesus praise for His Word. Let's stand together. Lift your hand to the Lord and say this with me. Today I've heard the Word of God. And that Word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer and not a doubter. As a hearer of God's Word, I'm also a doer. And I thank God that I am a partner with a ministry that believes God, believes His Word. And all the grace that flows through that ministry flows in my life. As a born-again child of God, I am a member of this body. And as I'm connected and in partnership, I am filled with the knowledge of His will. I am without offense. I approve the things that are excellent. The living Word of God. And my God supplies all my needs according to His riches, in glory, by Christ Jesus. Give Jesus praise for that. Amen. Amen.